Ciao e benvenuti. Welcome to Kimberly's Italy. This podcast is about sharing the love of all things Italian. And I mean every single little thing that makes Italy so incredibile. I'll share with you the most beautiful back roads to drive on in an old Cinquecento, the restaurant in Amalfi where the owner plays piano and flirts with the ladies simultaneously, my go-to gelateria in Milano, my favorite boat driver on Lago di Como, where actually the ladies flirt with him because he's so bello. <laughs> we will cover each region of Italy and I'll share with you my favorite of everything, family-owned restaurants, breathtaking hikes in the Alps, cathedrals filled with art, the best cheese shops, on and on. You get the idea. My name is Kimberly Holcomb, and I'm here with Tommaso. Ciao, Belladonna. <laughs> Ciao. My partner in life and my podcast producer. And this is our introductory episode. We're starting this podcast now because... Stanley Tucci. <laughs> okay, fine, fine. Watching. I mean, I mean, why not? He's teed, he's teed up the masses right now to Jones for Italy. Why shouldn't we start this now? Right, right. We've recorded all of his episodes. We watched them and they were very well done. But all I could think about was how he's so damn skinny. He eats throughout the whole show. And the guy is just a freak of nature. So you can eat pasta all the time and stay skinny. Yeah. <laughs> Some people can, like Stanley. So yes, Stanley Tucci has gotten Americans excited about Italy. As Tommaso said, totally jonesing to get back to that amazing country. So he might have been the impetus to start this, but also I figured there's a few more months, maybe only maybe a few more months before the countries open. They open their borders back to Americans and a few other countries. Why not start talking about all things Italian? And I am excited to produce this podcast as well, because I'd like to relive all of my trips through Italy, whether with Kimberly or with sailing events or business time. But Kim has such an insider's knowledge from her years of living there and her multitude of Italian friends, the stories, the anecdotes, the things that come out, they're just, they're wonderful. But let's explain your history with Italy and introduce your Italian life to everyone. And how did your love affair with Italy start? Because you were from the Midwest. <laughs> I know. You couldn't get more un-Italian. I think about that all the time when I would be like in, you know, some little village on the top of a mountain in Umbria and I'm eating the most amazing handmade ravioli made by La Nonna, you know, in the kitchen in the back. And I thought, how is it that I knew nothing nothing about food before I came to Italy at 30 years old, mind you. And that's because, as Tom just pointed out, I grew up in the Midwest. All I knew was steak and potatoes, some corn in the summer, that's it. So that was probably the best thing about living there, but let me back up. The reason I ended up in Italy was at 30 years old, I decided to move there because I had been a fashion photographer. That's all I ever wanted to do and I made it happen and I was living in Boston and to cut your teeth in the industry, you would either go to Milan, 
Paris or London. And then after you did your time there, you'd go live in New York. So I had already been to London and Paris and I figured, all right, I'm going to go to Milan. I had been to Italy before, but never Milan. And I just made up my mind to do it. So I sold everything I had, which wasn't much. And basically the biggest amount of money came from a used car my parents gave me. So I took off with $5,000 to my name. Five grand. 5,000. Just moved to Italy. Yep. Have an apartment? Nope. This was pre-internet, mind you. It was impossible to figure out how to do anything, so you just asked around, and I knew this male model who told me about this guy named Tony, Antonio. (laughs) (laughs) Tony had an apartment in Milan that I think he inherited from his family. It was a couple, it was a big, huge building and a floor through, old, old building. So this male model in Boston told me about Tony. And I had an address and I literally mailed him a letter saying, I'm going to move to Italy the 1st of October. Just wondering if you'd have a room. Tony wrote back and he said, see. So (laughs) (laughs) I had an address and that was it. So I started telling my friends and my parents that I was just packing up and moving to Italy. And to be honest, did you give Tony a date or? Yeah. October 1st. Okay. So anyway, while I'm getting ready to go, to be honest, the response I got from all my friends and family was like, wow, you're just going to Italy and you don't know anyone. You don't speak the language. You don't have a job. Were you like crazy? And I was like, no, I actually felt like risky. I felt ballsy. I felt like I was doing something super cool. That's some poly. <laughs> yeah. So I just did it and I was feeling kind of cocky. So little does everyone else know that I get off the plane with my two camera bags, my $5,000 hidden like in my camera bags and one big large suitcase. And you started crying. No, <laughs> I got myself to Tony's apartment building and outside of every building in Italy, there's a, it's like a doorbell. It's called Citofano. But you don't know that. No one told me. So I'm fi- trying to figure out how to find this guy in this like six-story building. Finally, someone walks out and shows me, asks me something, you know, what I'm looking for. And I ring the Citofano. He's on the top floor, right? So I drag my two camera bags up there first. Then I go back down the six flights, seven flights, literally, actually, and go back up with my suitcase. I ring the doorbell. Wait, wait, wait. And I was like, oh my God, he forgot. I'm coming today. All of a sudden the door opens and there's Tony. Tony just had on underwear. (laughs) That's it. Just some underwear. Buongiorno. Ciao, Tony. Oh, Dio mio. And I thought, oh my God, what kind of place is this? So anyway, he shows me down the hall to a room and it was fine. He spoke English because this is what he did. He rented out rooms to male models. Of which you are not of that persuasion. So I quickly figured out that I was probably, after a few days, I figured out I was probably the only person paying full freight there full rent and short timer (laughs) yes so anyway 
that's how I moved to Milan. I wanted to cut my teeth in the fashion photography industry in Milan. And that was the first experience. And it just got funnier and funnier from there. Because again, there was nothing like Craigslist. There was no email. There was no mobile phones. You had to figure everything out on your own. And it was entertaining to do so, but you made a lot of mistakes. And I didn't know the language yet. I I had been fluent in Spanish, so I used what I could there. And anyway, I started making the rounds, figuring out modeling agencies, where to go, how am I going to make this happen? And after maybe 10 days, two weeks tops, I came home from dragging my portfolio around, came back to Tony's building, climb up the six flights of stairs, and there's my two camera bags and my big suitcase in the hallway. Tony gave my room to the newest Armani model. And the guy was so gorgeous. I was like, okay, fine. (laughs) Okay. So I panicked and then I had to leave everything in the hallway, walk down the street like a kilometer to this kind of international uh, payphone. I called my friend who lived in France, in Nice, France. And he's like uh, my Danish brother, which is a long story. I called him. I said, do you know anyone in Milan? Because my apartment situation fell through. I said, yes, I know this woman, Anna. Here's her phone number. She's Italian. She lives in Serrano. It's right north of Milano. It's where Amaretto di Serrano comes from. And this woman, Anna, was the girlfriend of a professional tennis player. And that's what Perry did. He worked with professional players. I just want to say one thing. Yeah. Those of you listening might want to get out a notepad and a pen and start taking notes because this is going to sound like the United Nations pretty soon. (laughs) Yeah, it did go that way pretty quickly. Anyway, so I make a phone call, try to speak to Anna's parents. She finally gets on the phone. She speaks English because the tennis player she lived with was, uh, you know, spoke English. So anyway, she says, I come to Milano tomorrow and I take you to this uh, uh, sister of an aunt's uh, cousin, and I see if you can uh, stay there. I was like, okay, so nice, thank you. So I think Tony let me stay in like a back room or shared a room with a guy that night, I forget. Anyway, I go to- An Armani male model. <laughs> they wanted nothing to do with me. I was 30. I was like the oldest person there. They were all in their 20s. Yeah. Anyway. Cougar. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. So the next day I meet Anna at the Stazione Garibaldi, the train station, and she could spot me in a second. I was the only non-Italian standing there. And she comes out, kiss, kiss, both cheeks, ciao amore, so happy to meet you, and let's go. And with that, she takes my hand and she held it. She held my hand the whole day. We walked down every street. We went into Signora Bernini's apartment, meeting the sister of the cousin of the aunt's woman that owned this apartment. The whole day, Anna held my hand. And I thought initially like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. It's so weird. By the end of the day, I was thinking, this is an amazing thing they do. 
why don't Americans do this? I've never held a hand, the hand of a girlfriend or a girl ever. So anyway, in one day, Anna got me an apartment, a room in Signora Bernini's old, beautiful, uh, a little decrepit, but beautiful apartment. And that lasted a couple months and she was lovely. She didn't speak a word of English, but I took the time at night to learn Italian. I bought books in America and I learned verbs and conjugations, past tense, present tense, blah, blah, blah. It was very difficult to learn because every single verb, I kid you not, is... Basically, we didn't have babble. Exactly. There was no <laughs> translation. Just nothing. There was nothing. Not, it was a book and a cassette yeah. tape. It took a lot of memorization, and um, but I did it in the couple months I lived there, and I was... I could get myself around pretty well within like two months. And then I met this guy, Juan. He owned a black and white photo lab, printing lab. And he was from Mexico. And he had- Another flag planted. Yeah. He had a um, Dutch girlfriend named Judith. And the two of them were looking for an apartment, but they couldn't afford it on their own. So they said, uh, if we get a two bedroom, we- would you like to join us? I was like, yes. But then this woman, Japanese woman named Jamie Itagaki, who was printing at night with me, said, hey, I need an apartment too. So we're like, okay. So we get this apartment. So for the first time, after like three and a half months, four months maybe, I had my own place. Well, with three people. And I thought, I'm 30 years old. It's kind of weird to be sharing apartments with three other people, but not really because everyone did it. You would go to London, Paris, Italy, wherever you wanted to make your way in the fashion photography industry, and you did what you had to do. And most everyone I knew had roommates. So I thought, okay, this is cool. And then I kept thinking, all of a sudden, my life had changed so drastically, literally in three months, because remember, I came from the Midwest, steak and potatoes, Everyone was American. Everyone was white. Corn-fed. Corn-fed, Midwestern, nice place to, to grow up, but just white. Everyone spoke English. No one spoke anything else. And then all of a sudden, within three months, I'm living with like... The United Nations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And funny enough... Let's United- just recap. We went back to the Danish who lives in France. Right. You're now in Italy. You can bring the Italian woman in, now you meet the Mexican, and then the Japanese woman, and then the Dutch. Right. And funny enough, Judith, the Dutch woman, she worked at Benetton. And we <laughs> we joked that we could have been a Benetton ad. For those of you old enough to remember Benetton, they had the most amazing advertising ever. So finally, I had my own apartment. And then you had to kind of navigate your way. But of course, Juan had lived there longer and he knew the industry better and introduced me to a lot of the bookers at modeling agencies. And from there, you know, I did test model tests. And then from there, I would find out about a, you know, fashion designer or someone who might be looking for a new young photographer. And that's what a place like Milan offers. They want new young models, fashion designers, photographers, you name it. So 
it was the best place to be at 30 years old. And yet, like I said earlier, I was about the oldest person there. Most people had their act together a little bit before me and they were like 19, 20 years old from all over the world. I met people from, you know, Estonia, um, Iceland, um, Kenya, everyone was there doing the same thing. And so if you recall earlier when I said, I thought, oh my God, I'm leaving Boston. I'm being so risky and, and, you know, ballsy moving to Italy, not knowing anyone. I'm telling you after like the first month, I was like, I'm no different. Everyone here is doing the same thing. So I wasn't risky or ballsy or cool or anything. I was just trying to make my way like everyone else was. So once I had my own place, started getting jobs and income because my $5,000 was maybe halfway depleted. I never went out to a restaurant or anything like that. You know, I was too nervous. I'd run out of money. But then when you get a job, a photo job in Milan, it was life-changing because the lunch was catered, you know, by in-house studio kitchens, caterers, chefs. And it was amazing. It was the best food I ever had ever. And on top of that, they drink wine in their studios at lunch. So I only did that once. Not a good idea for me. (laughs) So just because it, you know, you had to focus literally and physically. So anyway, I started making money. I started making a ton of friends all from all over the world. But what really changed things was when I started meeting Italians and making friends with them. They they worked maybe in the the bakery down the street or the bartender in my building. Giancarlo. Giancarlo and his wife Rosanna. Oh my God, they were amazing. So I started making friends with Italians and I focused on that. I didn't want to just hang out with expats and other foreigners there to do the same thing. I figured I'm going to take advantage of being in Italy. And the second I had chalked up a bunch of Italian friends, that's when my life changed. I started going to their families' homes. I was invited to their homes for Pasqua, Easter, or every single religious holiday, which there are a thousand of them per year. And that's how I got to really know Italy and really know the the cuisine the culture, every region of Italy is different. And so, for example, let's say my friend Antonio, not not Tony, mind you, from the apartment, but Antonio. The guy, the, the guy in his boxers or tidy whiteies. They, they were tidy whiteies. Tidy whiteies. <laughs> anyway, um, I would go to these friends' families' houses for Easter or a, a holiday, a religious holiday, and the grandmother and the mother, they would be so excited to to meet an American. They spent days making their their homemade pastas and all the food and decorating the house. And for each holiday, they have specific meals like we do in America, you know, turkey for Thanksgiving, that kind of thing. And I swear, I learned so much about the cuisine, about the culture, about the wine, and also, to fill you in, I never drank wine 
before I went to Italy. Shocker, I know, because I love wine now. But, you know, I was a Midwestern girl and I went to college in New Hampshire and I did what other normal college kids do, drink. 30 pack of Bud Light. No. No, no. Cheap, cheap booze and weird cocktails and beer. So all of a sudden I was drinking wine from all these different regions and some made by their relatives that own a vineyard or some they made in their own, on their own property. And the food and the history and the culture behind each one of these families from the friends I had, that was it. I was, I was sucked in and I thought this is the greatest country I've ever been to. So what time frame was that? Like the, the that, first year? Yeah. First year. The first year. And also, to be honest, I went with my $5,000 and I thought, oh, this will last like six months. I'll stay six months and then I'll move to New York, which is what everybody does. I stayed six years. <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't you? Why not, right? <laughs> and the only reason I left is because the EU was forming. And I was there, um, this is so long ago, so I don't mind saying the honest truth. I was there completely illegally. I didn't have a single paper, green card, permesso di soggiorno, which is the equivalent of a working visa. I had nothing. The only thing I did to be completely legal was pay taxes through um, my friend who had a business there who let me invoice through his company. So I, I, yeah, well, he's gone too. So, okay. Hi, Juan. Juan, you don't mind. (laughs) Tom's met Juan. Anyway, so I paid my way legally in terms of the income I made into the, to the Italian government tax structure. And that was it. So when the EU started forming and it was getting harder and harder to go home, I'd only go back to America once a year to see my family. And then I just, I couldn't go the last few years. So finally I thought, okay, my parents are getting older. Should I go home and regroup and come back? But instead I went home (laughs) and I met Tommaso. (laughs) And so instead of moving back there together, we just go there all the time. And there may be a day coming up there may be, there will where be. Where we are living back there. But let's just say about our, you were on your way to Sydney, not back to Italy. Oh, when I met him. When yeah. you met me. Yeah. Yes, you were well, on your way back to Sydney. Yes, I had gone to Sydney after I, I left Italy, went back to Boston, and I learned digital photography. So that was also life-changing. And then I went to Sydney. Um, I thought, okay, if I can't stay in Italy, I'll go to Sydney. They also had a up-and-coming photography and uh, fashion buzz going on there. But I could only stay there uh, two months because of a visa issue. They're strict. Italians weren't. I went back to Boston, and I met Tommaso. And here we are now. Tommaso and I have been back to Italy several times together. He had a bunch of sailing regattas in Sardinia. We did some bike trips up north. And we had a hysterical trip with friends in Cinque Terre, hiking all five hills in 90 degree heat, which ended up with all of us running into the ocean in our clothes. And the Italian public looked on in horror. Yeah, they did. (laughs) (laughs) The only place Tom is really missing is the South, Puglia, 
And oh, Rome. And Rome. And Rome. Uh, Roma. We're going to get there. Been through the airport a number of times, never got out. Right. So. I want to go see the Papa. Yes. I think we're going to go this Christmas. Hopefully it's open and that's where we'll be. More recently, however, in 2018, I think it was, I took a group of eight friends. They were actually all my friends. They didn't know each other, but they did by the end. That's for sure. I took them on a private trip in Northern Italy for a week. We did the mountains in Valtellina, the vineyards all over Lago di Como, hiking into Switzerland, spending the night in a refugio mountain hut with goats and sheep. And it was amazing. They loved it so much. They formed their own Facebook group page when we got back and continue to this day. All eight of them. (laughs) Right. They continue to this day to post pictures and talk about when are we going back? When is Italy opening up? And I keep saying it will, it will. I did a few more of those trips the next year, uh, 2019, and obviously had to stop 2020. And once I had about four of those trips under my belt, that is when these friends and friends of friends that I took convinced me I needed to start a travel planning business. And that is actually how Kimberly's Italy came to be. This podcast, however, is new. And I am super excited and happy to be chatting about Italy and sharing it with you on this platform. And very grateful. So since we still can't go to Italy, what better way than just talk about it. Hence, Kimberly's Italy podcast. We will launch a new episode twice a month initially, and I may do a few pop-up episodes here and there in case we get some good news, like borders open, andiamo. Pizza's ready. (laughs) So please subscribe, take a listen, share the love. However, I'm wondering if it might be a good idea if I maybe drank a little bit of wine during the next recording. I think anything (laughs) loosening up the vocal cords and the attitude and not being afraid of the microphone. Okay. Everyone's afraid of that big microphone sitting in front of your face. Okay. Drinking wine it is then. How about a Nebbiolo? Mm. Okay. Mm. Red wine from Valtellina, which is north of Milano. And Milano actually is episode number one. It's my favorite city. I live there. I love it. I love the people. I want to share everything with you about it. So check it out. It's up, ready to roll. And grazie amici e ci sentiamo. Speak to you soon. Ciao, ciao.